going to be in 1 Samuel 27. Here in a moment I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. I'll read a couple of verses and then we'll flip over to chapter 28. When I was growing up, there was a man who was a friend of my dad's uh, who was in our church growing up, and his name was Fred. And Fred was a Christian, but he was also a womanizer. And uh, he, he went through a series of circumstances. He got throat cancer. Uh, he prayed for God to heal him, and he told God, he said, God, if you will heal me, I'll stop this womanizing. God healed him. A while went by and he began to return to his old ways and uh, my dad was up uh, visiting the hospital and somebody told him, said, hey, did you know Fred is up here? He said, no, I didn't. He said, yeah, he's up in such and such a room and my dad went up there uh, to visit him and he said, Larry, he said, I want you uh, to remember that I told you this, and I want you to share this uh, as an example for other people. He said, uh, my throat cancer has come back, and I know why it's come back. He said, I feel like God has shown me that I've passed his deadline, and he's going to take my life. Uh, sure enough, and my dad tried to encourage him, but sure enough, a couple of weeks later, Fred died and went home to be with the Lord. Uh, God loves us, and he's given us his grace, but God also disciplines his children. And uh, we need to understand the cost of the discipline of God. In Fred's case, it was his life. We're going to see here, Saul also eventually loses his life. Uh, but there were other things that he lost as well. Saul, in his persecution of David and his rebellion against God, uh, ultimately lost his best servant, David, who was in his army. He was a general in his army. Uh, he lost the benefit of the spoils of battle that David could have brought to him. He, he lost all of these different things in his life. God would no longer answer his prayers or give him guidance in his life. He found that he was living life as an empty shell of what it used to be when he was walking with God. Persistent rebellion ultimately brings God's discipline. Uh, Revelate, I'm, I'm sure, uh, Galatians, the book of grace. Uh, God says in, in chapter 6, God cannot be mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Uh, there are consequences and discipline we don't praise God as Christians. We don't get what we deserve. Amen? Jesus has paid the price for our sins at the cross. Where the blood, as, as that song was talking about, has washed us clean. Uh, and we have a home in heaven when we die. But as God's children, we are disciplined by God. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And you're seeing that in Saul's life. He has persisted in rebellion and he has persisted in opposing the purposes of God in his life. And now he finds himself finally coming to the point of a payday. Uh, we need to repent before we get to the payday. Amen? Uh, before we get to the point of discipline and, and difficulty at the hands of the Lord, we need to repent. 
This is not just for the fact that God stops his discipline, but also for the fact that God brings about his best for us when we are walking with him. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Life to the full. Life abundant. Life full of joy. Did you know that's what God wants for you? That's what he wants for me? Discipline is one of the ways he brings us back to a right relationship with him so that we can walk and live in his joy. The title of my message is The Cost of Ongoing Rebellion. Verse uh, 27 I'm sorry, chapter 27, David has now fled to, to the Philistines. Uh, and Achish, which is probably the title of the Philistine king, there's some archaeological evidence for that. Probably a different Achish than the Achish earlier that he went to see. Uh, but Achish allows David to become a mercenary uh, there. And he, he gives him a city called Ziklag where he can live with his 600 men. And, uh, and David, he thinks David's going to attack Judah, but what David's actually doing is attacking Judah's enemies. And so uh, David, in a lapse, I believe, of faith in God, there's no indication that he asked God about this. He goes to the, the, to the Philistines and is in this situation. Uh, one thing I want you to see today about David's life is that David is winning spoils, but he's taking them to Achish. They should have been taking them to Saul. Look at this. 1 Samuel 27 and verse 9. When David attacked the land, he did not leave a single person alive, either man or woman, but he took flocks, herds, donkeys, camels, and clothing, and then he came back to Achish. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that here in a moment. But flip on over to chapter 28. At that time, the Philistines brought their military units together into one army to fight against Israel. So Achish said to David, You know, of course, that you and your men must march out in the army with me. David replied to Achish, Good, you will find out what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will appoint you as my permanent bodyguard. By this time, Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his city, and Saul had removed the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines came together and camped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel, and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine camp, he was afraid and trembled violently. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him in dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. Saul then said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium so I can go and consult her. His servants replied, there is a woman at Endor who is a, uh, is a medium. Saul disguised himself by putting on different clothes and set out with two of his men. By the way, one reason he had to disguise himself, not only was he taking the mediums and spiritists from the land, but people of God knew that any kind of association with mediums or spiritists or witches or fortune-telling or any of that kind of stuff or communicating with the dead was expressly forbidden in the law of God. It was considered idolatry. So what Saul is doing here is, a, is an overt sin. And so he disguises himself uh, and, and comes to the woman at night, verse 8 says. And Saul said, consult the spirit for me. Uh, bring up for me the one I tell you. But the woman said to him, you surely know what Saul has done, how he has killed the mediums and spiritists in the land. 
Why are you setting a trap for me to get me killed? Then Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives. Isn't that ironic? As surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you because of this. Who is it that you want me to bring up for you? The woman asked. Bring up Samuel for me, he answered. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. Why? I'm going to just pause here for a second and tell you why. She was expecting a demon. Don't, don't communicate with the dead. Demons impersonate people and try to lead people astray. That's why God says have nothing to do with them. Uh, but this time, the only exception I know of, God actually sends Samuel. And it scares her half to death. And so she's screaming in terror. Um, so, uh, verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. And then she asked Saul, why did you deceive me? You are Saul. But the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? I see a spirit form coming out of the earth, the woman answered. Then Saul asked her, what does he look like? An old man is coming up, she replied. He's wearing a robe. Then Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up, Samuel asked Saul. I'm in serious trouble, replied Saul. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He doesn't answer me anymore, either through the prophets or in dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what I should do. Samuel answered, since the Lord has turned away from you and has become your enemy, why are you asking me? The Lord has done exactly what he said through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. You did not obey the Lord and did not carry out his burning anger against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will also hand Israel over to the Philistines along with you. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. And the Lord will hand Israel's army over to the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell flat to the ground. He was terrified by Samuel's words and was also weak because he hadn't had any food all day and all night. The woman came over to Saul, and she saw that he was terrified and said to him, Look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant. Let me set some food in front of you. Eat it, and it will give strength to you so that you can go on your way. He refused, saying, I won't eat. But when his servants and the woman urged him, he listened to them. He got up off the ground and sat on the bed. The woman already had a, a fattened calf at her house, and she quickly slaughtered it. She also took flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread, and she served it to Saul and his servants, and they ate. Afterward, they got up and left that night. The cost of ongoing rebellion. The first cost of ongoing rebellion is your resources. In chapter 27, verse 9, David takes his flocks, herds, donkeys, camels, and clothing that he got in battle and took them to Achish instead of to Saul. Saul lost the physical resources that God wanted to provide him with because he was living in rebellion against God. So you lose your resources. Uh, one of the things that God did to Israel in times when Israel as a nation was, was rebelling against God is he began to send famine. He began to send uh, things that came along that destroyed their crops, locusts and th things like that. And, and they began to lose their resources and their finances. America is billions of dollars in debt. Could it be 
that God is judging our nation by removing our resources. God sometimes will judge you financially when you're in rebellion against him. Or the resources that you have spiritually uh, will be lost. In In other words, not that you're unsaved, but if you're a child of God, you cannot be unsaved. But as a child of God, you can quench the Holy Spirit of God so that you lose the joy of your walk with God. Uh, You lose the power that you have over sin and the strength of the Lord in those situations. Uh, You lose the anointing of God upon your life in his using of you. So the spiritual resources, listen, the physical resources are one thing. The spiritual resources are especially important. But... Saul has no resources. They've been removed from him spiritually and and many of his physical resources as well. Um, The cost of your ongoing rebellion oftentimes is losing your resources. But I love what the Bible says in Matthew. If you seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. The food and the clothing that you need is what Jesus was talking about. He said, hey... Uh, I clothe the lilies, I'll clothe you. I feed the birds, I'll feed you. I'll take care of you, I'll supply your need. And so, uh, one of the blessings of walking with God is knowing that God is there to supply our needs. And uh, no matter how expensive gasoline gets at the pump, or what happens with the economy, God will be there to supply the needs of his people. And so, uh, make sure that if you're living in a situation of ongoing rebellion, you don't lose the resources that God delights to give you in his discipline for your life. Uh, Confess your sin to God. Ask him to change your heart and give you a heart of repentance. uh, And then choose to turn from that sin and follow Christ in your life. So important. So the cost of ongoing rebellion, first of all, is your resources. Secondly, your guidance. Look at chapter 28 and verse 6. Saul is talking about Saul. He re- inquired of the Lord. In other words, he asked the Lord what to do. But the Lord did not answer him in dreams or by the Urim. You know, the Urim were the, uh, the things in the high priest's breastplate. And you'd go to the high priest and he would take the Urim and the Thummim and he would throw these things down. It was kind of sort of like throwing dice. But I guess they'd do it two or three times and see if there's a consistent message. And, and Saul had no message from the Urim. Uh, God would not give him any guidance. Had no message in a dream. Uh, And he says, or by the prophets. No prophets came and said, this is what God says you should do. No guidance whatsoever. When you quench the Holy Spirit of God in rebellion, the Bible says that God will discipline you in the area of not giving you guidance. Some people say, well, I sure wish God would give me guidance about this in my life, but they're unwilling to submit to God in another area of their life. You won't get guidance until you submit to the Lord. Um, One of the sobering passages of Scripture in the New Testament is found in 1 Peter, I believe it's chapter 3, where uh, he's talking to wives and husbands, and he tells the husbands, he says, Look, if you don't treat your wife with honor as a weaker vessel, you cherish her and treat her in the right way, your prayers will be hindered. What's he saying? You won't have guidance. God's not going, and it's not that God doesn't hear your prayers, but God will refuse to answer as a discipline in your life. I don't want to be there. (laughs) 
So the guidance of the Lord, so important. God guides us through his word. He guides us through his spirit. He speaks to our hearts uh, through his spirit. And uh, I've never heard an audible voice of God, but I have sensed a leading in my spirit at times. Uh, that is something that's precious to me, um, and it should be precious to every child of God. When you live in ongoing rebellion, you lose your divine guidance. It's like walking on a dark path with no light. Uh, this life is full of pitfalls, full of trouble, full of heartache. I'd sure like God to tell me when to take a detour, wouldn't you? Uh, I'd sure like God to show me where I need to, to, to uh, change things in my life, what I need to do in my life so that I can live an effective life because this life is a vapor. But if I live in persistent rebellion against God, that guidance will not be there. So the cost of ongoing rebellion, first of all, your resources, secondly, your guidance, thirdly, your assistance. Saul, it's amazing to me the contradictions he's believing in his life. On the one hand, he knows it's a sin to go to a witch. Matter of fact, he himself had tried to get all the witches and mediums out of the land. And yet now, he's doing the very thing that he probably thought he'd never do. He's going to a witch. God's not answering him, so he decides to go to a witch instead. And he says, bring up Samuel for me. And he says, Samuel, I don't know what to do. God won't answer me. Samuel said, if God's against you, what can I do for you? Why are you asking me? He says, look, what I told you before that you didn't listen to is what God's doing right now in your circumstance. I can't help you, Sam. Uh, I can't help you, Saul. You're on your own. Matter of fact, very soon you and your sons will be with me. In other words, you're going to die very soon. Samuel had been one of Saul's dearest friends. Samuel had been a support to Saul and had told him the will of the Lord and oftentimes and, and had prayed for him and, and uh, many, many times throughout his life had been a support to him and an encouragement to him. But now... Because he has aligned himself with the enemies of God, Samuel cannot take Saul's side over God's side. He's got to identify with the Lord. One of the things that happens when you go in ongoing rebellion against God is the support that you have from God's people can no longer be there for you because they have to do what God says. So Samuel loses his support. One of the saddest things I've ever seen is Someone, and I'm thinking of a specific instance that, that I knew, who got into sin, and he had a great support system, but he ended up leaving the people of God and losing the support of the people of God. That's what sin does. By the way, did you know that the devil wants to rob, steal, and destroy in your life? That's what he did in this man's life. He robbed, stole, and destroyed. Sin, persistent rebellion in your life loses you the assistance of God's people. I tell you what, um, I'm a pastor. I want to tell you something. I need the people of God. I need you. And you need me. And we need each other. Amen? 
There have been times that some of you have prayed for me, and it's been such an encouragement. It's ministered to my soul. There have been times that you have shared testimonies with me that have lifted me up. There's been times, I love that song we sang this morning, that Philip chooses a song that ministers to me. Listen, I need the people of God. When you live in persistent rebellion against God, you lose the assistance of the people of God. One of the costs of ongoing rebellion. Also, you can lose your life. I mentioned Fred to you earlier. Verse 19, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. And the Lord will hand Israel's army over to the Philistines. In other words, you're going to lose the battle and you're going to be killed. You and your sons. His life ended up being the cost. Time and time and time and time again, Saul's been given opportunities to repent. Time and time and time again, he's not taken them. And now the time of God's discipline has come. And he loses his life. Uh, I want to tell you something. You could lose your life physically like Fred did, but I think it's a greater tragedy to lose the abundant life. I tell you what, this, this world can be a dark place to live, but if you've got the light shining in your heart of God's presence to encourage you, what a joy it is. Uh, that abundant life. Jesus said, if you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from you. He's saying, there'll be this life. It'll be like a river that is unending in your life. It's a joy that we experience in God's presence. It's a joy that we experience in the fellowship of God's people. It's a joy that we experience in worship or in the word and uh, in prayer. All of these things are part of the abundant life that God intends for us. And often we do. When we persist in rebellion, we lose the abundant life. I, I remember a season of my life where I was upset at the Lord. And I won't talk about the details because you've heard them before. But one of the things I noticed about that season in my life, it was about two years of time. I was in a spiritual desert the whole time. I was just going through the motions and, and in a spiritual desert in my spiritual life. And at the end of those two years, I told God, I said, God, you do whatever you want in my life. I just want the joy of your presence back. And he is a God of mercy, isn't he, as we sung about. Guess what? Instantaneously, I sensed his presence, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's the God we serve. But uh, I robbed myself of two years of the blessing of the abundant life. So, uh, the cost of ongoing rebellion, your resources, your guidance, your assistance, your life, and your worship. Your worship, I just mentioned going through the motions. This is, this is incredibly ironic. But if you look in verses 24 and 25, the, the witch is, is making him a meal, okay? But here's what you, what you don't see. When it says she served it to Saul... Literally, in the original, it says she sacrificed it for Saul. And the word that's used of, of the uh, uh, flour is a word that was used in the bread that was prepared at the tabernacle. Uh, the word that's used for unleavened bread, that is what it is. Uh, it was a picture 
of purity and holiness. The, no leaven was there. The sin was gone. It was a Jesus as our perfect sacrifice was offered up in our place. The unleavened bread. Jesus is the bread of life. But she's, she's offering this bread. They're going through the situation of worship, quote, quote. Doing the outward things of worship, but it's empty. How many times do people go through the motions in church? There's no joy. There's no worship. There's no ministering to the heart that's taking place. It's because of, oftentimes, because of ongoing rebellion in your life. Um, I love worship. I love to sing to the Lord. I love to, to worship Him in prayer. Um, and there's such a sweetness and an intimacy there in those times of worship. But when we're in persistent rebellion, we lose that. And worship just becomes uh, going through the motions. Oftentimes what will happen is a person who's going through ongoing rebellion will begin to be critical. I don't get anything out of that Sunday school teacher's lesson. Oh, that preacher doesn't do anything for me. Oh, the music, I just can't stand it. It doesn't do anything for me. Oftentimes it has nothing to do with the music that's chosen or the sermon that's preached or the Sunday school lesson that's taught. It has to do with the fact that the Spirit of God has withdrawn His hand and there's a leanness of soul. Do you remember that story? The children of Israel are in the wilderness and they've uh, asked God for meat. This is the second time they've asked God for meat. Moses, we're sick to death of this manna. Give us some meat. And they were grumbling against God about the meat. So God says, I'm going to give them meat until it comes out of their nose and their ears. Uh, they're going to have meat, so much meat. And the Bible says he gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. That's what it, what it is. When you're in, in the discipline of God, your worship is lean. There's no joy. The Spirit of God has backed off because of discipline. And you're going through the motions. The cost of rebellion, how sad. The ironic thing is, even at this point, Saul will not repent. There's no humbling of himself before God. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. If Saul had humbled himself before God, God would have forgiven him. You know how I know that? Manasseh was the wickedest king in Judah's history. The Bible says his streets ran with blood. He was the most murderous, wicked king that Judah ever had. But the Bible says that he found out God was going to bring judgment and he humbled himself. He walked around in sackcloth and ashes and repented of his sin and the Bible sent the prophet to him and he said the judgment's not going to come in your time Manasseh it will come in the time of one of your sons and Manasseh lived out the rest of his life in peace God forgave him for his sin Saul had not nearly the sin that Manasseh had but see that's the power of the blood of Christ the great thing about knowing Jesus Christ is there's nothing that can tax the power of his blood. The Bible says where sin abounds, there did grace much more abound. And when you come to the Lord in humility and you say, Lord, 
I have sinned against you. Maybe you even say something like this, I'm not worthy to be called your son or daughter. Let me just be a servant. Remember the prodigal son saying this, he was so ashamed, so beat down by his sin, so ashamed and he, he's walking with his head down and he's, he's shuffling along the way and the father is waiting for him to come across the hill. He's been waiting every day since he left. And the son comes over the hill. And he comes down to his father as his father runs up to meet him and he starts to give his prepared speech. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father's not listening. He says, bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. My son has come home. That's the heart of God toward you and me. Wonderful thing. Saul had the opportunity to humble himself and repent before God. And God would have showered his grace upon Saul. But he missed it because he was unwilling to repent. If you're going in a situation of ongoing rebellion in your life, Listen, you're not the first. Confess it to the Lord. Ask God to change your heart. Choose, after you ask God to empower you to do so, to turn from your sin and your way to follow Christ in obedience. And God will forgive you. There's a promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's talking to Christians, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll do the work if you'll humble yourself and receive it. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the price that he paid. Thank you that every sin that I've ever committed or will commit, every sin that anyone in here has committed or ever will commit, was laid upon Christ at the cross. And he bore your wrath. And he bore your justice. And he said it is finished. Father. Thank you for the fact that our Savior has completely paid it all. And God I pray that as. We have a.